Hello, and welcome back to the Entertainment Inquisition. I'm your host, Allison Steinkamp, and I'm very excited about today's topic. I don't really have much of an intro, so I'm just going to jump right on in. We are talking about the hit musical slash rock opera sensation, Jesus Christ Superstar. I've heard about this movie a ton, and I had never actually seen it until I watched it for this episode. Also, I didn't know it was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber, the same guy who wrote The Phantom of the Opera. The one question I have is, how do you go from a rock opera about Jesus to a musical masterpiece about a weirdo who lives in a basement of an opera house and is obsessed with a girl who sings pretty well? We'll save that question for when this podcast blows up and I have the money to hire Andrew Lloyd Webber to come in for an interview. That probably won't happen. And if I had money to interview someone famous on this podcast, I would definitely bring in Mel Gibson. Okay, let's just jump into the movie. For clarification, the version I watched was the version from 2000 with Glenn Carter as Jesus, but all of what I'm going to talk about will cover the 1973 version and the stage production. The production covers the events of Holy Week, which is actually coming up in about a week. Most of the scenes and costumes have taken on a glitzy image of life in the 1970s. I mean, Jesus is wearing cargo pants and a white tank top. There is so much leather. But besides the costumes and the modern themes, the story is pretty close to what Holy Week is. Holy Week starts out with Palm Sunday, where Jesus comes into Jerusalem, goes to Holy Thursday, when Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples and institutes the sacrament of the Eucharist, Jesus' betrayal and arrest that night, his passion and death on Good Friday, and ends with Easter Vigil on Saturday night. I'm going to assume that most people have heard of the story of Christ's passion or have seen the movie, so I'm going to jump past a walkthrough of the events of the movie. I will talk about particular events as I describe different parts of the movie, so be on the lookout for that. The three main characters in Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice's depiction of Holy Week are Jesus, Judas, and Mary Magdalene. I thought it was really interesting that Peter did not play a bigger role in the movie. However, Tim Rice notes in his autobiography that from a very young age, I had wondered what I might have done in the situations in which Pontius Pilate and Judas Iscariot found themselves. How were they to know Jesus would be accorded divine status by millions and that they would, as a result, be condemned down the ages? This movie and the questions it raises may have less to do with the world's questions for Jesus and more to do with the questions the playwrights had for Jesus. And how did these two men come to create an international hit stage production? It all started out with a song on a napkin. At first, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice had the idea to create a stage production, but there was no one to produce it and they had no money of their own because they were just starting out in their own careers. Andrew Lloyd Webber came up with the song Superstar, and spent a small fortune on recording it with a full orchestra. It blew up in 1969 and was number 27 on Billboard's Top 100 Songs of 1971. Because this single was such a success, the two men went ahead and recorded the rest of the album, which was released in 1970, and the first official stage performance opened on Broadway in 1971. The stage show was somewhat successful in the U.S., but the release of the 1973 movie version actually dampened the success of the show, and it closed on Broadway in 1973. So, how did making a movie shut down the Broadway show? From what I understand, the movie was boring. The stage show was a huge, glitzy affair, and the movie was like the show was filmed in the middle of the desert. It looked like Jesus actually didn't have mobs of followers when it was like 20 people in the middle of an open expanse of land. The film was still somewhat popular and fell into the category of Jesus film, 
I did air quotes even though you can't see them. At the beginning of developing films, Bible stories were used because producers noticed that they didn't need as much publicity because people had been reading these stories for thousands of years. When movies became more creative as time went on, the genre of Jesus film was created and described movies that creatively depicted Jesus. These films were most popular in the 1960s and 1970s and included films such as King of Kings and Jesus of Nazareth. Fun fact, these other Jesus films claimed to be set in the Holy Land, but were filmed in other locations like Utah, and Jesus Christ Superstar was actually filmed in the Holy Land, but did not claim to be set there, and the backdrop was actually kind of lackluster for the appeal of the film. The story definitely takes some liberties with the gospel. For example, Mary Magdalene is shown to be the one who anoints Jesus, while none of the gospels claim she did. Jesus' 39 lashes that is highly emphasized in the movie was actually a Jewish punishment and not a Roman one, and they almost use Christ as Jesus' last name, which is not shown in any gospels either. Though, Jesus Christ Superstar does do something that works greatly to its advantage. It does not draw attention to the earlier parts of Jesus' life. Many of the Jesus films of the time use a lot of the story to establish Jesus' authority, while Jesus Christ Superstar just jumps right into the height of his ministry. However, they lose momentum when they forget to include a resurrection at the end of the film, which turned off a lot of conservative Christians. I kind of agree. Christian theology claims that Jesus' suffering and death was for the purpose of his resurrection, so why not include that pivotal moment in the film? So, that's a little background on the stage production. What else should we talk about? Well, I realized after releasing last week's episode on the Da Vinci Code that I didn't really talk much about the claims that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married. And there is some weird romantic tension between Jesus and Mary Magdalene in this movie, so I think I want to talk about that. First, who is Mary Magdalene? In the Bible, Mary Magdalene is described as being overrun by seven demons. In the Catholic Church, the number seven usually symbolizes perfection or completion. It took seven days to create the world, we should forgive seven times seventy times, etc., etc. So, the number seven being mentioned could mean that Mary was completely or perfectly overrun with demons, and Jesus' healing of her was a complete healing. After this, Mary goes on to be one of the few followers of Jesus who are present at the crucifixion, and she is the first one to whom Jesus appears after his resurrection at the empty tomb. Magdalene probably references Mary's hometown of Magdala. It's not just a cool last name. But what happened to Mary and her image after the death and resurrection of Jesus? She became a central figure in a movement in early Christianity called Gnosticism, which is a Greek word for knowledge. Gnostics are pretty open to female leadership and some believed in female images of divinity. The Gnostics are not all united in their beliefs as some other heretical groups are. Some Gnostic writings, which were actually referenced in the Da Vinci Code, show Mary as being someone especially loved by Jesus, like the Gospel of Mary and the Gospel of Philip. These Gospels are not accepted in the canon of scripture set forth by the Catholic Church. In addition to the Gnostics, the Cathars also believed that Mary Magdalene played a bigger role in the divine life of Christ. In southern France, also where the Priory of Sion was said to emerge, Some medieval references show that local Cathars taught Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married, and some went as far as to say that there were two Christs, one who was good and one who was bad. The bad Jesus supposedly had a lady friend, and that was to be Mary Magdalene. 
Cathars also taught some other weird stuff, like the Virgin Mary gave birth to Jesus through her ear, and Jesus was not actually on earth, but just manifested here. It makes a lot of sense that the church led a crusade against them in France. A lot of scholars have investigated the claims that Mary Magdalene and Jesus were married and have not found any evidence for it. Most believe it was created not to show an elevated feminism, but to make it seem like Jesus was mostly human and less divine than Christians claim. I think the Jesus Christ Superstar has also done this. Jesus has shown being overwhelmed by the sick who come to him and being almost angry with God the Father in the Gethsemane scene. I also noticed myself wondering why Jesus seemed so salty a lot in the movie. Many times characters doubt Jesus' divinity, most especially Judas. Since Judas got such a prominent role in the movie, I'm going to give him a slightly prominent role in the podcast. So let's talk about Judas. I always thought that Judas was a slimy, mean, clearly bad guy type. That probably comes from watching too many kids shows where the bad guy is clearly labeled. In Jesus Christ Superstar, I also thought that Judas seemed a little creepy. But I read something while I was doing research for this episode that brought up a good point. When Jesus states in the Last Supper that one of his followers would betray him, everyone starts questioning if it's them. No one goes, huh, it's definitely gonna be Judas. I bet he's gonna do it. Judas was just one of the guys. No villain label, no weird eyebrows, no talking to his pet parrot about his evil plans. But ultimately, Judas does betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. After betraying Jesus, Judas kills himself, either by hanging himself as the movie shows, or he may have bought a field and threw himself down so that he split in half and his bowels leaked out. Second option is a little more graphic, so I'm glad they didn't go with that option in the movie. Apparently, there was also a Gnostic gospel called the Gospel of Judas that was released in 2006 that says Judas was the only apostle who understood Jesus' message, and Jesus told Judas secret stuff about God. Because of this, Jesus asked Judas to turn him in so that he could be released from his material body. This doesn't make sense because why would Judas have killed himself if he knew what was going to happen to Jesus and he knew all this other information? Well, there's a little bit about Judas and Mary Magdalene. Overall, I thought the movie was weird. I didn't really like it that much, but I may have had a different opinion if I had grown up watching the movie. I think it does a good job depicting the timeline of Holy Week, but I also think that the movie shows a Jesus who does not seem very divine. Mary Magdalene's attraction to Jesus is pretty unfounded and a little weird, but I will say it was interesting to see Judas's angsty questioning of Jesus. We don't hear a lot about Judas in the scriptures. Peter, James, and John usually steal the spotlight, but I think the artistic creativity with Judas's character is something that sets Jesus Christ Superstar apart from other Jesus films. That's all I have for today. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back soon with another episode of The Entertainment Inquisition. Bye!